0: This podcast is brought to you by AppFolio Investment Management. In a recent study, AppFolio Investment Management customers reported up to 70% growth in their total EUM over a one-year period. How? They were able to cut fundraising time down by 50%, automate waterfall distributions, and impress investors with an online investor portal. Learn why thousands of real estate investment managers are choosing Appfolio at appfolioinvestmentmanagement.com.
1: Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you? plugging away i think from our last episode
0: i I mentioned that i now now looking and house hunting in this crazy or apartment hunting in this very competitive new york environment so uh, no
1: real updates there
0: but just uh that's that's like my second job right now (laughs) living
1: the dream oh my goodness yeah I, i don't envy you good luck with that continued i know that you have another guest on the show today who'd you bring on
0: so this week, we have William Marr, who is the Director of Strategy and Research at RCLCO Fund Advisors. He's also a member of ULI Washington and was a participant, a respondent in the ULI Spring 2022 Real Estate Economic Forecast. So William, welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Clay. Great to be here.
0: Uh, so before we you know dive into some of the discussion of the Survey. If you just wanted to take a minute to talk about yourself and and uh, RCL RCLCO, that'd be great,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. We pronounce it RCLCO. It's kind of a okay. It's it's the initials of Robert Charles Lesser and and company. And and interestingly, he was uh, one of the the first real estate economists to come up with the idea of market analysis for real estate back in the sixties. And so so RCLCO remains kind of at the forefront of doing market analysis for all kinds of properties, including residential and commercial. The group I'm with is called RCL Co Fund Advisors, and it's, it's um, a part of RCL Co, but uh, we specialize in consulting to large institutions, particularly pension funds, both US and domestic, so on their uh, real estate strategy and their implementation. Uh, I'm, I'm the head of strategy research Um, We track markets around the world um, and and try to recommend the best um, investments for our clients, uh, all all of whom are very large, typically over $100 in assets, um, major institutions and pension funds.
0: So that definitely gives you some pretty good visibility into what a lot of big players are doing in the market at any given time.
2: Uh, definitely. We are, we're we're their advisor on real estate. And so we have to take into account not only the real estate investments, but everything else going on, including value of their stocks and, and, and other other sort of metrics that, that they look at.
0: And then, so you're one of the, you know, I, I forget how many exactly, but I think there's probably a, a couple dozen at least organizations and economists that participate in this broader ULI real estate Uh, Economic forecast is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's done twice a year, and uh, the last one uh, was was done earlier this year. had forty seven respondents from thirty six different firms, so pretty pretty wide representation from the uh, the real estate industry.
0: And any kind of like of any high level takeaways from from this report in terms of just what
2: the expectations are for the market. And, and In fact, I, um, I wrote an article for Urban Land, the ULI's um, uh, monthly publication, about it. So I can give you the highlights pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, and we uh, can also
0: throw a link to that article on our show notes. So we'll make sure to do that.
2: Okay. So the surprising. So a couple things were a little bit of surprise. First of all, the the, the survey was done in March and April, so things were pretty good there. I don't think there was um, uh, much concern about Ukraine, about energy mm-hmm. prices. Uh, so, so I think people were a little more optimistic at that point. It turns out, in, in retrospect, definitely more optimistic. But, but, but in spite of that, the, the the group that that responded did point out that they thought that interest rates would be up compared to the prior survey, and that economic growth would slow a little bit. Now, that's the backdrop. Now, but, it, but, uh, in despite that, real estate performance, um, including. Uh, rental rates, uh, occupancy rates, returns, all kind of went up a bit uh, from the prior survey that was six months earlier. So so it was, it was generally positive. And I think that was a result of how strong the real estate market had been between, let's say, fall of 2021 and early spring of 2022. It, pretty much every property type was was recovering from the COVID downturn, and some of them, including. Um, Industrial and um, and apartments have moved well beyond the where they were pre-COVID, so so generally pretty pretty positive on the real estate side, a little bit negative on the economy side,
0: and overall, just the sense that even with some of the the headwinds that may be coming, that the fundamentals are strong enough within the real within all these different property types for real estate to, to weather what's coming.
2: Yes. But at that point, what was coming.
0: Yeah. Right. At that point, it wasn't maybe as I think, I think maybe, I guess that you're sort of saying here is that this was done a couple months ago and maybe now the forecast is a little bit darker than, than it was when this was done.
2: Exactly. I mean, uh, just a few months ago, the, the median uh, forecast for 2022 GDP was 3.2% you know, who knows what that will be now, but it's, it's definitely a, a lot lower than that. So that would temper probably people's opinions, but again, that's where we were. And it was leading to strong real estate results.
0: And so this, this is done twice a year. So the next time um, would be October. So that's when we would see any, any adjustments in some of those expectations.
2: Uh, that's correct.
0: I guess, you know, what's interesting is like being a uh, you know, being thrown into this multifamily rental market in New York City right now does not see, seem like a recession at all.
2: No, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how the, uh, the the major markets, which were um, got hit the hardest, um, are now so strong. And, uh, and despite the fact that people aren't going back to work, the, the occupancy rate for office buildings is Forty or fifty percent, probably, and uh, so people are working from home. But they realized, I guess they they'd rather be in uh, New York City than in uh, um, wherever they were were staying at their at their uh, vacation homes or friends' homes.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, just from like I could tell tell you from our neighborhood, it really has just changed into a more of like a work from home neighborhood within Brooklyn now, where a lot of the the main commercial drag has there's just a lot more lunch places there's a lot more cafes there's a lot more like like that kind of like daytime business because there's a bigger daytime crowd here than there was sort of pre-pandemic and yeah it just seems like even though it's only like you know 30 40 minute subway ride back to the office uh, most people are here at least part of the week and
2: i'm sure that it's not so great in uh, on 6th avenue and, and diff- you know midtown manhattan is probably uh, the opposite
0: Right, right. But that's you know that's just one one sort of microcosm that I think we've been all wrestling with with what the future of office looks like. But you know, aside from it does seem like aside from that kind of question, which is continuing to play out, you know, industrial, multifamily, you know, even now retail seem really good.
2: Well, industrial. Uh, I'll sort of uh, agree with you on industrial and multifamily. One of the things going on with industrial is that the the vacancy rate is at an all-time low, and and uh, and, and rent growth has been at record highs. Um, returns for the past year for um, industrial were about 40 percent, forty five percent, which is just a record for any one property type, and, mm-hmm. and it continues to be really strong. and And I think that's the probably if there is a downturn, it's the sector that will do the, you know that will do the best even even if, if there is a recession or a slowdown. And, and that, that, that showed up in the, in the survey results. It was, you know, the, the, hot, the, the lowest vacancy, the best rent growth, the best returns for industrial. And, and you know, it's hard to see anything changing that because uh, there isn't all that much being built. There, you know, there's, 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 there's a fair amount being built, but not, I don't see overbuilding in any shape or, or form. Um, for apartments, same story, record low vacancy rates, rents are rising very rapidly across the country and and you know I, I think I think that it's the benefit of what what many people believe is an overall housing shortage we've just built far too far too little housing since the um, global financial crisis when, when housing pretty much shut down and there's a you know depending on the who you talk to a two to four million unit deficit for the country and right now that's that's sort of playing out the most in in uh, I'd say Sunbelt single-family homes mm-hmm. and urban apartments. Those are the two places where it's the tightest. Mm. And, and retail, certainly neighborhood retail, um, uh, grocer anchored—that's necessity, doing well. Um, we're, we're all complaining about rising prices at the supermarket. I think there's a little little more profit being made at, at supermarkets, so <laughs> very strong there. But you know, the the fashion retail, the the discretionary retail uh still not doing great so um some you know malls continue to struggle a few are some are fine some of the best ones but there's a lot of um you know b quality malls that um you know are questionable in terms of their long-term survivability
0: got it so there's still some some shakeout to,
2: to, to come there
0: but it does seem like you know across the board again with the caveat of this being a couple months ago the the forecast for every sector has positive returns the the degree of how much it varies i mean i think yeah industrial if yeah, it the forecast is 20% for 2022 12% for two. so you're looking like at double digit returns still for for we're projected for this year and next year still on industrial pretty big for apartment but then yeah more like 5% range 5 6% range for office and retail
2: yes that's right um office surprised me i mean it's it's um Uh, It's almost, it's all income. There's no appreciation. Um, I think that's, that's at risk, that office forecast. Um, The rent growth, assuming there was decent job growth and decent uh, GDP growth was only 0.1% for 2022. Um, It went up to 2% for 2023. But I think um, if there is slowing job growth and, and, and kind of slowing economy, I think the office space is the most at risk because the vacancy rate is so high, right. uh, much much higher than normal. And uh, you know, some landlords can sit and wait for um, a tenant to to show up, but I think they'll be they'll be discounting rents. You know, if this goes on for longer.
0: And then the other property type which we haven't touched on, which there is some coverage of in the report, is the hotel sector.
2: Yeah, hotels um, have actually surprised on the upside. I think. Um, there's they're still seeing little less than normal uh, business demand, and but they've been making up with uh, with leisure demand. There was all this pent up demand for leisure, so uh, room rates are up, occupancies close to normal, um, and uh, I think hotels are feeling pretty good right now.
0: And in terms of like different kinds of investor groups, you know, REITs versus pensions versus private equity, or you know, any other. All the other um, sources of capital out there. Is there any sense that different types of, of investors are responding differently to current market conditions?
2: So, pension funds um, move very slowly. They're they're one of the bigger groups that invest in real estate. They were underallocated to real estate um, prior to this stock market correction, and now they're right about at their allocation. Broadly speaking, it varies. Um, the ones we deal with are pretty close to their allocation. So, but they, they they still want to invest in real estate for the long run. They they view it as a, a good asset class, low correlation with other with other um, other asset classes, and you know they're continuing to uh, selectively invest in new 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 uh, uh, new uh, strategies at the same time. They're slowly trying to sell their core properties, the ones that are hmm. fully leased up. Really, don't have a lot more, much more appreciation, but they're not. They're not. Um, they don't. They're not selling at any price. And, and if, if there is sort of disruption in the market, which we may we may get to, there seems to be a little bit starting right now. They're willing to sit and hold. So so they're going to be patient, but they still are. Pro real estate, I would say, at the margin, the the private buyers uh, typically rely on uh, as much leverage as possible, right? And, and 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 they're the ones that are you know the leverage doesn't make sense now. It's you know it's above the generally above um, income levels for a lot of property types. So I think they're going to be out of the market. The one wild card that we hadn't seen, say a decade ago, is what are called um, non-traded REITs, mm-hmm. which are groups like. Sure. Uh, you know, Blackstone has one, Starwood has one. There's there's ten or so, and and they still are raising a lot of money. They use moderate leverage, sort of forty to fifty percent. But the money's coming in rapidly because it's it's they've done well, and um, you know it's it's sort of stock markets and 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 until now, stock markets and um, and bond markets have felt a little overvalued. So a lot, they've been raising a lot of money, producing good returns, and 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 I think Starwood, you know, they, 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 we're talking about like fifty to hundred. Billion dollars um among that group that right. didn't exist so so that's that's a that's new money that's um and once the money's raised um it pretty much has to be invested because it's you know sitting in cash it's producing little or no income so you know there, there's sort of a a fuse in terms of getting that money out so that's that's been a sort of a, a boost to the market that wasn't there prior
0: yeah that's interesting I, th- I think the from what we're seeing that non-traded REITs may have had a record last year and they and they had a huge first quarter this year so they're still raking right. in a ton
2: of capital right right so hmm. so that's so, a- so yeah. yeah and then um we really haven't seen uh international investors again it's hard for them to travel they they will eventually come back when when this whole covid thing sort of dies down but um you know, I think the, the market's been, you know, it was record transaction volume, 800 and something billion dollars uh, last year, h- highest number ever without really much uh, international investing. Mm-hmm.
0: And I assume that they're also affected by the, just the relative strength of the dollar now and and how that makes their investments pencil out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And in terms of like, just the overall, like the, the current, deal market somebody told me yesterday i think that like you know there's this buyers want uh yesterday's prices but sellers want tomorrow's prices or maybe it was vice or vice versa sellers sellers want yesterday's prices buyers want tomorrow's prices and so that's kind of you know we have like a bit of a bid ask gap like that that needs to be worked
2: out yeah um you know it's hard to put numbers on it because it's not a transaction but um we talked to a lot of brokers and and estimate there's sort of a five to ten percent uh, bid ask gap, and that's mm. you know would be if you split the difference a seven half percent decline in where people thought prices were you know a few months ago. So which are still which are which are up from where they were you know six months ago. So maybe we're we're flat from six months ago, but there's definitely uh, you know and I think it's really been related to well two things: the interest rates have have, have Definitely affected some buyers, and then concerns about the economy and and, and demand um, are affecting others.
0: Do um, you have any like long term expectations around inflation?
2: Yes, yeah, so as far as the survey concern is concerned, you know, it, it, economists expected six percent inflation in two thousand twenty two, but then leveling off to three percent in two thousand twenty three, and two point five percent in two thousand twenty four. That seems a little bit optimistic. The, um, the, the, the five-year tips bond implies about a 3% uh, rise over the, over the next five years, and uh, actually 3.5%, I should say. So, so the, the economists are a little bit optimistic, but again, that was prior to the, um, the, the May um, inflation report, which was higher than a lot of people thought it would be. Everybody thought it would start to trend down, and it jumped up a little bit. So, so long-term inflation, uh, I would, I would think we're going to be around three percent, and and that probably needs, you know, that 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 means needs the the Federal Reserve to kind of fight this spike in inflation and successfully fight it, uh, which is which is a little bit of a risk right now. Right.
0: Um, Are there any other kind of high points from the report that that we have not touched on yet?
2: Well, the, uh, the treasury rate um, was, was, you know, I won't call it a miss, but it wasn't, uh, it's not looking too good right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, the, the, the survey said that the, the 2022 rate would be 2.7%. And as I looked this morning, it was 3.4%. So oh, wow. yeah. that's off by a lot. And, um, and then the other, the other um, area is, is housing. And, um, you know, expected continuing growth in, in new home starts and uh, the number was, was pretty high. Again, the, the mortgage rate, is, is, the 30-year mortgage rate is over 6% now. It was probably, you know, in the fours back then. So um, I think there's got to be a slowdown in housing demand. And yeah, the, the, the forecast, so single-family housing starts were about 1.1 million last year. Forecast was for 1.2 million this year, 1.25, and then then down to 1.1 in the prior two years, and and you know I think the demand's there, but I don't think the, the ability to pay is there, particularly uh, particularly at the middle income levels with um, with mortgage rates being up so much. Now, that's sort of a we did a calculation that between um, mortgage rate increase and price increase, the monthly payment's up about 50 percent for uh, for the the median buyer, which is a lot too. Most people can't, can't handle that.
0: And does that starts figure though also include the single family that are being built straight for rental?
2: That's a good question. I, I, I think it does not. It does not. Okay. So that's,
0: I, that's pure just single family residential yeah, for sale market.
2: Right. And, and, and uh, yeah, that's that's an area that um, the survey doesn't cover is the single family for rent. Right and and how many um, new communities are being built? You know, and I have to say that our clients are involved in a fair amount of them. You know, they range from sort of 100 to 250 attached small houses that are very high quality, but um, compete with with apartments in terms of rent rates. We think that's it's a good addition to affordable housing. You know, compared to building. Uh, McMansions or you know hundred million dollar houses, you know. So, but there is a lot of controversy about about that. We understand.
0: Yeah, I think it's just it's you know we've definitely talked about it on previous episodes, and we have a survey around that. I think it's it's always just been hard to get a full handle of like what percent of the single family housing market is still just residential for sale versus how much have been like you know, I think that there was a time where, where people were like, well, this is just a really small part of the market. It's not even really having, it's not even large enough to have much of mm-hmm. an impact on the for sale market, but now it does seem like it's grown to the point where it may have, you know, some be, be putting some pressure on there,
2: but it's, yeah, hard, I guess the, really the assumption is that the assumption is that the builders would sell these, you know, at moderate price, 300, 400,000. But, um, you know, if they were going to sell it, they would build a, a higher end product to get more profit. So, Right. it's it's hard to get that comparison right in terms right, of right. what you're getting and what you're giving up.
0: Well, I think I've um, taken up a, a good chunk of your time here. So I appreciate you you know going with all of my kind of random tangents on these questions.
2: Uh, my pleasure. Glad to do it.
0: Um, and once again, it's William Marr from RCL Co. Sorry about the, the the company name earlier. And we will in our show notes have a couple of links for, for you to follow up. But if you want to say anything else before we're out.
2: No, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I'm very uh, in, glad to be part of this survey each time. And I think it's a good addition to the, for the real estate industry.
1: And I think it was a great addition to this podcast. David, thank you so much for having William on. William, of course, thank you for your time. You were very generous with it. And, if, and our last thank you, goes to your listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodimer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review because this actually helps others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.